You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. What great worship, Lord. You indwell the praises of your kids, and we are so grateful that you're here. You promised us you would be when we told you we loved you. And we ask you, Lord, to look at our nation today But do that, Lord, starting right here by looking in each of our hearts. I love that song about giving our heart to you because you are the one we love, Jesus. So we ask you to speak. We need you to say nothing that we don't need to hear and to say everything to our hearts we do need to hear. So we give this little time to you by faith. We are in a very special place where you have moved mightily Uh, at least 15 times of which we know. And we live and are staying in a very special area. In the early days of our frontier in 1799, 1800, 1801, it was a rough place. It was uh, really a haven for criminals. And yet, at the end of the movement of your spirit through Logan County and Bourbon County and all of Kentucky, The president of Washington University could come by on his horse and say, this is the most moral place in which I've ever been. Father, as you look at our nation today, we have turned our backs on you, and we are not the most moral place. You, Lord, could change history in three days, symbolically and realistically. From the cross, to the grave, to the resurrection, you overcame sin and death through your Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need need that kind of move today. In our religion, which the Jewish nation at that time had in spades to today, we're very religious people. And we're also very vain people and we're very secular people, and we're very irreligious. We need you to move. We cry, we cry out. We cry out, Lord, for you. We are at a point, Father, that's beyond us, but we know you can use very inadequate vessels, which you have proven over and over. Now, Lord, use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm I'm just unbelievably honored to be here with you today. Um, Dr. Bob Coleman is my show and tell. How many of you have heard of uh, Master Plan of Evangelism, Master Plan of Discipleship? Dr. Coleman is like six foot five. He's 94. He played basketball into his 80s. Uh, Josh, his uh, grandson-in-law, and uh, Juliana, his granddaughter, brought him here today. He's got surgery on his back in a couple of weeks so he can walk again. He's amazing. The master plan of evangelism, Bob, is over 20 languages, or is it more like 40? And one point, or 20 million around the world. It's just amazing what God has done with him. Now, why is he show and tell? There's no one that loves Jesus or evangelism or discipleship or revival more than Dr. Bob Coleman. Now, he's 94, and as you know, the present learns from the past, right? So we're learning as we watch men like him 
I'm 75. I'm not quite where he is. My body is probably not going to make it to 94. But in the present where you are, Joel 2 and Acts 2, God promises us that in the last days, I came to Billy Graham Evangelistic Association 1974 just doing an internship on a doctor of ministry degree. I didn't mean to stay. And at that time, the logo on the BGEA, and by the way, I'm watching the time. I know you've got to get out of here for your classes. The BGA had a time, a, a clock going to midnight. It was three or four minutes before midnight. So maybe today we're 30 seconds before midnight. Who knows? Only God knows. So Dr. Coleman is our show and tell for the past. You are our show and tell for the present. But you also prophetically are our show and tell for the future. The present is determined by the past. But in some ways, the future determines the present, and the present, prophetically, because God's told us what's going to happen, determines the future. So in this room are the Francis Asbury's of the world. I was just at Wheaton College last week. We have the Billigram Center there, and some of us are on the board. We go up a couple of times a year. We had a young Korean-American give the devotional. And I was, I was literally overwhelmed, if any of you remember the name Jim Elliott, the great missionary to the Alka Indians who died there to, for the sake of the Alka's salvation. He had on his wall in his hut before they went to the day of their death a sign that said, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. And a man is no fool who gives up that which he does not have, uh, that which he has for that which he does not have because God has it. So I want to be your cheerleader today, and I want to be God's cheerleader in the right sense of the word. I just took a little time this past week and looked into uh, ages. And by the way, my family is here, and I do want to recognize them because two of them are your generation, Christian Phillips, stand-up Christian and Hope. They're, they're students here. One's from Florida. The second one is from Colorado. And if you don't know them, they're hilarious. You should get to know them. And also with uh, Hope is her brother Lincoln, who's a, a cross-country guy, just got his Eagle Award. I was an Eagle when you barely squeak out 21 merit badges, he had 48. Shame on him. And his mom and dad, who are physicians in Colorado, and my wife, Weta, all of you just stand up right quick. Weta has followed this crazy guy around the world and put up with us, me and Jesus. So. I just wanted to recognize them. But I want you to be very conscious of who you are. Billy Graham said about 10 years ago, the next great move of the Spirit of God could easily come in the marketplace. And uh, Emily Adams is all the way in the back. Emily, go ahead and put the first revival sign up. Emily is my, was my assistant until I became the senior advisor. I was quitting, and Franklin said, you, Franklin Graham, you need to stick around and teach the young guys what the old guys knew. Well, I'm old, but I'm young at heart. So they gave me this title, Senior Advisor. Never accept that title. Everybody recognizes you're senior, but they don't take any of your advice. So what good is that? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But as I began to look at what God has done in the past to help us understand the present, I was mesmerized. John and Charles Wesley were 23 when they started the Holy Club. 
George Whitfield was 18 when he joined the Holy Club. William Wilberforce, who was vital in the destruction of slavery in England, was 28 when he went into the Parliament. The boy preacher right here in this area years ago, Peter Cartwright was so young, they called him Methodist, the boy preacher. Charles Finney was 31, the young lawyer that God used in the early 1800s to bring revival to throughout the northeast of the United States of America. Billy Sunday, the baseball player, was about 20 when he became an evangelist. Billy Graham was 14 when God led him to himself, and 30 when God finally put him out of Youth for Christ into the world. Another whole story, isn't it? D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman when God grabbed him at 18 years old. All of these are stories unto themselves. C.T. Studd and the Cambridge Seven, who went as missionaries around the world. C.T. was very wealthy, by the way. They were around 25 when they went out to the rest of the world. The Haystack Prayer Meeting at Williams College, about the same time all of this was happening here in the Great Revival, in the frontier and also all the way to the east. I don't know if you know, but Yale University at the time that the great movement of God occurred right here in this area was so secular that the students called themselves nicknames like Voltaire and Rousseau, French intellectuals who were atheists. And Timothy Dwight, the grandson of Jonathan Edwards, came in as the president and he just had infidelity all around him. And so he decided that he would have a bit of a competition with the students, and they were to pick out a topic that they wanted to discuss. And literally, it ended up being the Bible is the Word of God. And four years later, one-third to one-half of all the students at Yale University, by studying the Word of God, were Christians. So God can use us, and will use us. That Haystack prayer meeting, a bunch of guys got out of the rain, about five of them at Williams College. They were 19 to 22 years old, and that started the American missionary movement from a haystack. Now, come on. Can God do that? Yes, God can do that. And then those college students were used of God in an amazing way. Evan Roberts was just a 24-year-old semi-educated coal miner in Wales. Whenever God spoke to him, took him to Newcastle Emblem College under Principal Phillips and Seth Joshua, the great evangelist, came through so the students said, hey, Principal Phillips, can we go with Seth Joshua to the next city and hear him? We'll learn more about evangelism by following him than we will hear, than we will hear in class. Principal Phillips wisely said, yes, go ahead. At the next city, Seth Joshua was so disturbed by the coldness of the city, I believe it was a Wednesday morning in an early morning meeting, he was trying to awaken the people and he just cried out, Oh God, bend us. And Evan Roberts, for some reason, that 25-year-old ex-coal miner in a Bible college, God drove that truth into the human heart, and Evan fell off the bench into his knees, and he said, Oh God, oh God, bend me. Oh God, bend me. And he went back to Principal Phillips, and he said, God has asked me to go back to my home church. And he said, God has given me a message for my home church. And Principal Phillips wisely said, well, we better check with God. And they prayed together all week. And Evan Roberts, like Samuel, had heard from God so many, I mean, from, uh, like Samuel heard so many times that Principal Phillips, like Samuel, said, you need to go home. You need to go home. 
So Evan goes home, no telegram, no internet, no text, no phone call, knocked on the door of his pastor's home and said, God has sent me to speak to the church. I have a message from God. And the pastor was dumbfounded, and he said, e Evan, you know, everybody expects me, of course, to preach on Sunday. And Evan says, that's okay, I'll preach Sunday night. I'll speak Sunday night. Well, Sunday night, the pastor didn't think that was right because the people expected him to be in the pulpit, and he said, well, Evan, that won't work either. And Evan said, well, I know you have a prayer meeting Monday night. Could I, could, could I come to that, a prayer meeting? When I was at Wheaton last week, when Ethan, this American Korean boy, led devotions at the board meeting, third generation in our country, his family had moved all over the world, three or four years in Singapore, three or four years in Hong Kong, three or four years in Indonesia, and he brought one of the most practical, quick devotions I've heard in a long time, but in that he said, we just had a prayer meeting. We just had a prayer meeting here at Wheaton. 300 students spent all night in prayer. So whatever's happening here spiritually, it's happening in other schools as well. God is moving. And he said students came also from Moody Bible College, and they came from Trinity Divinity School all night in prayer. And we've, we've organized the Jim Elliott Society, the Alka Indian man who was killed, and we're going, listen to this, we're going door to door in this posh neighborhood there in Wheaton, and we're witnessing to the people in the homes. And I went up there after reading the minutes over several various board meetings, and I hadn't found, I found a lot about evangelism. I found eight institutes of evangelism, great work. I found 11 conferences, great work, good work. But what's happening at the school? What's happening with the students? because that's what I've given my life to is the next generation. Joel 2 and X 2. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. It will be the generation of that day that has the vision to win the world. It's that generation who will proclaim, who will proclaim Jesus, be the preachers. And as the marketplace needs preachers, the pulpits need preachers, education system needs preachers, medical system needs preachers, prison system needs preachers, that's us. No matter where we end up, media, preachers, we need you there proclaiming. And God says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. It will be the young people who are the proclaimers. Nobody knows social media better than the young people. The best place to proclaim today. And Wida and I have young friends who are young evangelists in America who use TikTok. Now, I don't recommend TikTok because it's Chinese, right? And they're getting all the AI they can. But in the middle of everybody on TikTok, here are these young people, and they have over a million views a day. Everyone I know except Julia, she only has 660,000 a day. One of them is 19 years old. His name is David. He's a great soul winner. They just take their devotions. They read the Word of God in the morning. They meditate on it. They pull off in their car. They do one minute. They give an invitation. David, when I met him, had 300 million views. Jacob is called the father of TikTok evangelism. He's 23. He said, in COVID, I was so bored I started just talking about Jesus. He said, man, I've got a good microphone. I write out every word. I do two a day. But he said, I put my Instagram at the bottom of my TikTok. And I said, why do you do that? And he said, I do that because, because 
I want to answer their questions. Now, it stretches him to answer the questions, you know. It would stretch you. It would pull you, me, out of our comfort zones. So I said, how many questions do you get a day? He picked up his phone, and he flipped through three pages, single space. He said, that's, that's how many I get. I said, you get that every day? Every day? He said, yeah. I said, you answer those every day? He said, yes. I said, what else do you do? He said, I don't. That's my life. Now listen, you don't have to be something like a Billy Graham or a D.L. Moody or even a C.T. Studd in the world we live in today. You don't have to go to Africa or Latin America, but if God calls you, go. But you can be going to the world through this. Now listen, this is crazy, but in 2020, in 2000 rather, we had the Amsterdam conference with 10,000 evangelists. Billy Graham did his hand like this. He did this. We didn't even have these. We didn't even have them. He put up his hand like this and prophetically said, one day there will be more power to reach the world in your hand than we have anywhere today. Now that means you are that generation. You are the Joel 2 generation. God repeats it in Acts 2. Why would he do that? Because it's so important. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. I will shine my light. In the darkest day, light shines best. I will, God says. Not us. God says. Now, we always quote 2 Chronicles 7:14, right? If my people call by my name, humble, pray, seek, and turn, none of those are easy, are they? That's what we do, humble, pray, seek, and turn. God says, I will hear you. I will forgive you, and I will heal the land. I can't heal this land. Washington, D.C. cannot heal this land. God can. But guess who he uses? He uses vessels. That's who we are. So Joel 2 and Acts 2, last days, God says, his spirit, you proclaim whatever way you have, basketball. I've got a friend who's a trainer, a young man, 24, in Atlanta. He trains for hockey teams. He uses TikTok. He does training things on TikTok and says, I love Jesus, kind of. But during COVID, downtown Atlanta, this is just being created. This is just being who you are. He and his buddies realized that all the businesses were shut down. The parking garages were shut down. There was no security in the parking garages. Everybody was locked in their homes. These are young people. They could care. They went door to door, knocking in the apartments, inviting people to church on Sunday, took a portable sound system, went to a parking garage, no security, set it up on the concrete. People brought their beach towels, sat in front of them. They had church. They gave an invitation. Anybody who came to Christ, they took to their apartments and baptized them in their bathtubs. Now, I'm not certain how the church fathers would look upon that, but the stage is set. That's the point. When God moves, he sets the stage. As dark as it is, the stage is set. It's set for light. It's set for truth. It's so hard to find uncompromised communication today from media. So people are searching for truth. As I was flipping through George Barna's information this past week, it was amazing to me when I came across these two things, George Barna Research. Have you heard of the open generation? Is that a new concept? How many have heard that? I'd never heard it. Open generation. 
out of research, they've, ta they've tabulized 25,000 analyses around the world, and they have said this is the most open generation for truth that has existed. Listen to this. Even though this is all around the world, 13 to 17 years old, 26 countries, 17 languages, when they asked them about Jesus, over half the young people said Jesus is loving. They classified him as loving. Well, what a great way to start sharing your faith by starting with love. They also asked them about the Bible, what they believe about the Bible. Listen to this. Now, remember, all over the world, Hindu, Buddhist, secular, sacred, doesn't matter. Is the Bible good? 40% said yes. A lot of independence, but only 6% said bad. 40% said it's good. Meaningful, 39% said yes. 8% said no. Is it important? The Bible, 39% said yes. And remember, this is 26,000 young people, 17 countries and languages. Is it important? 39% yes. Unimportant, only nine. Is the Bible talking about love? Yes, 38%. Judgment, 8%. Is the Bible true? 36% said yes. False, 9%. Is it trustworthy? These statistics were blowing me away. Yes, 35%. Untrustworthy, 9%. So if you want to tell somebody about Jesus, then the secular media tells you you can't. The world is saying, I need it. I'm hungry. The stage is set. You're authentic generation. And when your generation hears truth, they just grab it. And I am finding, even at my age, that this is the easiest time to share my faith with people. But I don't go down the old lines. I just talk about Jesus. He's real. I know him. He's my best friend. Would you like to know him? Yes, I would. If any of you know Nick Hall, the great young evangelist from Minnesota, I think he's the best young evangelist without a Graham name in America. He was renting a car the other day, and he's just renting a car. He wanted a fast one, and he wants to get them at the economic price, but give me a fast one. He always does that. And all of a sudden, God said to him, all you care about is renting a car. And he had already asked this young man, he had already asked him, how are you doing? We all say that. And the young man, 19 years old, said, fine. God touched Nick's heart, slow down, man, and ask him how he's doing. And Nick said, hey, how are you doing, really? And the young man had tears in his eyes. We talk about dysfunctional families. A lot of you have them. Some of these kids I know that are doing social media have them. I mean, a lot of them do, actually. They're not, they're not young kids that are immature. They've been through a lot at 19 or 23 or 22. He said, how are you doing? He said, not too good. He said, tell me. He said, well, my father died two years ago. My mother died last week. I have a younger brother. I have a younger sister. And now I'm the father. I'm not doing well at all. That's the world we live in. And Nick said, you need a father, don't you? And he said, I do. And Nick said, let me tell you about him. And right there, this young man gave his life to Jesus. And Nick gave him his phone number and said, I'll be, I'll be your mentor. I'll be your friend. Now, that's what life's all about. And God says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And it will be the younger people who are the proclaimers. That doesn't mean we don't do our job. Dr. Bob taught me that, Dr. Bob Coleman. 
I was 42 when we met, and I said, how do I grow old with dignity? He said, let the young people go past you and help them. And that's what I love to do. And then God says, listen, they'll have the vision for their area. God will guide you to have vision to how to win your world. You don't win, God wins. You just tell the truth. Truth is authentic. Jesus is real. He's the best friend. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's Master. There is judgment, but there's also life. And then the Bible says in that same scripture that we older guys will be the dreamers. And I believe that means we do the dreaming to support you, to resource you, to encourage you, to exhort if necessary, to fund you, to help you get the job done. So this is where we are today. So we've got this book we gave you today, Ignite Your Passion for Jesus, your guide to experience personal revival. I know it's thick, and I know you don't like to read, and I know this is what you like to use, and I do too, frankly, or this, and I do too, frankly. But it's 12 chapters broken into 15-minute segments, five in each one, so Monday to Friday for 12 weeks about revival. You may not even know what it is. Anazeo is the Greek word, and that's when the prodigal son came home, and the daddy said, my son was dead. Anazeo, he's alive again. He was lost. Anazeo, he is found. That's the church today. It needs to be awakened from a slumber. Not every church, but the church. So the contents, the time is now. I believe that. Revival is a lifestyle. I believe that. Beginning with brokenness, I know that's true. But you have joy in true repentance. The foundation is obedience. Prayer is the relationship. Knowing Jesus. Revival is your gift. Evangelism could explode. It's a key time in history. How about our nation? What about the world for an awakening? That's the 12 chapters. So it's yours. If you didn't get it, pick up one. If someone's not here, grab them one. We'd love to share that with you. So in the world we live today, it's a revival generation. Revival is when? Now. It's a Jesus generation. So revival, where are we? Where are we right now? Billy Graham said, I am praying for an old-fashioned Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival that will sweep America from coast to coast. He started that in 1949, praying it. We, we videoed him when he was 93 in 2012. He's still praying it. When he was in his latter years, couldn't do anything but pray. That's what he prayed. So we're standing on 70 years from him alone of people praying for awakening in America. But we changed that, that God would not just sweep our nation. We've been attacked globally with a pandemic. Then God is at work globally in response, so we just changed that to the world. And in Christian history, no phenomenon is more clear than the recurrence of his movements. And they come at times through repentance. People see God, they see themselves, and they repent, and it like, it's like a movement of a wave across the oceans. Going up to the beach in San Diego, I used to surf there. You see trash at the end of the day. The waves would come in at night, come back, there's no trash. Of course, the machines came out too. People previously unaware of the supernatural become keenly aware, and we're sensing that today. People can suddenly be gripped by the terror of their own wrongdoing and fear of coming judgment. We're not quite there on that one yet. Next. Discarding all other concerns, people desperately search for truth. That's where you come in. That's where social media comes in. That's where face-to-face -face comes in. Once started, these movements spread like wildfire in the air, breaking out unexpectedly. That happened here in 1970. That happened 15 other times. Can that happen globally? 
this movement that's already underway in your heart. Only God knows what he's saying to you. I didn't intend to be here. I just wanted to be a southern wealthy surgeon retired with millions in the bank by now. Forget it, God. And he just nailed me. I wouldn't be here today on the edge of revival with you if I'd done that surgery bit. You see what God can do. Be obedient. Just follow him. Skip over the next one, Emily. And go to Vance Havner. A work of God's spirit. Revival. A work of God's spirit among his own people. What we call revival is simply New Testament Christianity, the saints getting back to normal. It's just normal Christianity to be right with God, right? And then one more, or two more. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this one, the essence of revival, renewal, restoration, is that the Holy Spirit comes down on a number of churches or districts or perhaps a whole country. It is, if you will, a visitation of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question today. How's your heart? We worship about the heart. We worship about the focus is Jesus, but he starts in the heart. How's your heart? Could the Holy Spirit visit you right now? Is the Holy Spirit visiting you right now? How's your heart? And then lastly, Henry Blackaby. If society as a whole seems to be getting darker and darker, it's not the problem with the darkness. We always pray about evil. We should, but that's not the problem. The darkness is just acting like its nature. But it is that the light no longer dispels the darkness and the salt no longer preserves. Well, we know light dispels. We know salt preserves. We are the light. Jesus said, I'm the light. He told us, you're the light. He told us, go and let your light shine. So if God wants to move, guess who he moves through? <laughs> Me and you. We are the light. As inadequate, as inadequate, as inadequate as we are. When Jesus fills us through the Holy Spirit, we are adequate. We are nothing. These titles mean nothing. These degrees mean nothing unless Jesus, and Ch Paul said it, they're just like dung. But it's Jesus. He uses every piece of us. It's time for the light to say, if things are darker, the problem is with us. How's your heart? How's the light coming out of you? Just give it to Jesus. Let him flow through. It's not our act. It's his. We're just the vessel. Habakkuk 3, 2, Lord, I heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your awakening of this nation, that it would be the servant to the world and not a colonial or an imperial power and certainly not a compromised power economically or in any other way, militarily, socially. We pray that through your work in our hearts and through the light shining and the salt preserving, this nation could become the flow. In Jesus' name, amen.